and you are appreciated. So are you one of those kind of people that like to be surprised Christmas morning with what presents you get, or are you one of the people that snoop around trying to figure out what you got ahead of time? You like to spoil the surprise, right? My wife, she was like the worst, this little girl. She would get into her stocking, she'd take everything out, see what she got, and then, you know, put it back carefully, or even more, you would unwrap your presents, right? You'd, you'd look at the presents, and then you'd carefully tape them back up like, you know, nobody would know. I'm, no, I want to I wanna be surprised. So I'll shake it around, but I, I, wanna, I don't want to know. Now, that first Christmas was a big surprise because nobody knew what was really going to happen. There had been prophecies for centuries about this Messiah coming into the world. And, uh, you know, they, they tried to shake around those prophecies to figure out. And they, are you one of the kind of people that like to pull pranks and disguise your presence, right? You know, you put a little bitty present into a big box, maybe put some dumbbells in there, you know. Well, th these prophecies were kind of disguised. People really didn't know exactly what kind of Messiah this would be. They were expecting maybe some sort of great military, kingly leader like David was who would overpower their enemies and deliver them into a, to being a, a world superpower in Israel again. Or they were waiting for maybe some sort of important influential leader to show up, like another Moses, who would lead them into an era of prosperity and preeminence. But that's not what they got. The Jewish people got a very different kind of Messiah than what they were expecting. It came as a big surprise. I mean, maybe they were, they were expecting an infant, you know, maybe somebody that you know, would grow into somebody great, but they weren't expecting... God to show up, for God to be a baby, and certainly not to be entrusted to some young, unimportant, unimpressive couple from some backwater town uh, out of nowhere. Uh, who would expect that kind of thing? Why is that? Why, why didn't they get it? Well, I think it's because their idea of what this Messiah would do is very different than what God had actually promised. They were wanting to be saved and delivered from oppression and injustice and poverty and pain. They weren't expecting salvation from their sins. Uh, they were looking for a, a national leader, a heroic warrior, not some itinerant rabbi suffering servant spiritual savior. They missed the deeper meaning of the prophecies. So have you ever wondered about, like if we were in charge of all, the whole Christmas story, wouldn't we have done things quite differently? Well, the, long ago, the prophet Isaiah said these words in Isaiah chapter 55. In fact, if everybody would read these out loud together with me off the screen. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, for example, if we were in charge, we would have sent Jesus to the earth at a better time. 
like when David was on the throne and uh, Israel was at its zenith of power and everybody was paying attention to Israel and waiting and expecting this Messiah. But that's not what they got. They weren't expecting an arrival. I mean, not like today, you have one of these royal births and the whole world is watching and the media goes into this countdown craze. But there was no countdown clock for Jesus. God hadn't even spoken to them for 400 years. He had gone silent. So nobody was expecting the Messiah to show up now. I mean, we would have chosen a different time when, you know, communication was better and quicker. Today, like when we have this instant global communication, when we have uh, you know, live streaming and, and video and, and social media, word gets out quickly. Back then, it moved at a snail's pace, and there was no news media covering the birth of Jesus. Think about all we know about him that was written down. It took a long time to handwrite all the stories about Jesus, and then to transcribe them and make copies of them to spread and to translate it into different languages. There, wouldn't have, there would have been people who didn't know about Jesus' birth for months, years, or even decades after it happened. But God chose that time, the time of what's called the Pax Romana, because the Romans had brought peace, Pax Peace. Well, through military strength, you know, through force, they were forcing all these different peoples and nationalities to live together in, in peace. But all these cultures were brought together and they were connected by roads. The Romans had, had connected everybody together and through this common language and culture that Alexander the Great had spread, Greek was very common so people could hear and understand the message. And God chose a time when the Jews were still in their quasi-nation, uh, able to practice their religion with the temple and the priesthood. I mean, that, that was short-lived. That would go away in AD 70, just one generation after Jesus rose from the dead. This is the time that, Je that, that the Lord chose in Galatians 4.4. says, but when the what? When the fullness of time had come, just the right time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So this wasn't an accidental time. God had synchronized all this to happen at just the right time. We often think God doesn't show up at the right time, right? Because we get anxious and we get uh, bent out of shape and we're all in a hurry and we want God to move quicker. But God will always show up at the right time, on his timetable, according to his plan. Now, we would have had Jesus be born in a better place, maybe uh, in Jerusalem itself, a capital city, of uh, the religious center of Judaism, or an important place like Rome or Athens, you know, with great political and intellectual influence. We would have never chosen Bethlehem. We would have had him be born in a palace full of comfort and splendor and not in this manger which was a feeding trough for animals we wouldn't have we, we wouldn't have had him in this obscure little hamlet off the beaten path i mean who would look for a mighty messiah in a little dink place like bethlehem i mean bethlehem was a wonderful place but nobody goes to bethlehem i mean if i can say it, it would be like today Somebody would say, the Messiah has showed up. Where is he? 
He's in South Rockwood. Like, why, why South? It's a wonderful place, but nobody like purposely travels to South Rockwood, right? Or really any place around here for that matter. This is not where we would have the Messiah be born. God's ways are not our ways. We wouldn't have had a Jesus brought up in the town of Nazareth either. It had a bad reputation. Later on, Nathaniel will make the snide remark, does anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, if we were in charge, we would have had him come in a very different way. Not born as a tiny, helpless, vulnerable infant. We would have had him show up already a full-grown, mature, well-built man. Like, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson shows up. Very stately, very impressive. His arrival would be heralded by trumpet fanfare, by massive fireworks, because we would want everybody to know the God of the universe has finally arrived. But God's ways are not our ways. Yes, there was a star in the sky, but only a few wise men paid any attention to it. And yes, there were angels praising God, but only to a few shepherds. And if we were in charge, we would have had him be born to very different parents, wouldn't we? He was not born into the right kind of family. I mean, we already saw Mary and Joseph were, were wonderful. Again, they were righteous, faithful people. But we would have picked somebody more enlightened, educated, more experienced, better well off in order to provide the right environment and protect the Son of God. I mean, look how picky we are when it comes to just choosing a babysitter for a couple of hours. These are not the kind of people we would choose to raise the Son of God. We would want to be sure our kids have the best of everything, the best care, the best doctors, the, the most sanitary hospital to provide the best shot at growing up, you know, well off. We want, we want that for our kids. But Joseph, that guy couldn't even arrange for medical help or, or, or hotel reservations, right? Look what he provided. A stable, that's, that's all he got. I mean, we won't even stay in a cheap motel, right? We're too good for the, for the moldy smell and the stained mattresses. And um, no way, the cockroaches? Uh-uh, no, we're not going there. But Jesus wasn't too proud to be born in those kinds of humble conditions. In an animal trough where beasts slobber and the smell of manure hung in the air, that was hardly the place for any baby, let alone the king of kings. And today we make sure that our babies have the cutest clothes, the latest toys, beautiful furnishings. I mean, even in the most humble of homes, isn't it true? I mean, those baby rooms are amazing. But not for Jesus. God's ways are not our ways. 1 Corinthians 1 says, God chose things, what, despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. He flips it all upside down. His ways are not our ways. In 2 Corinthians 8, it says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor. The elite, you know, do not live among the common folk. But Jesus did. He came down and experienced what we experience. He suffered want and pain and 
went through every kind of temptation that we do because he could not truly be one of us in an ivory tower separated from the difficulties of life. He had to get down into the depths of human deprivation to really experience what it means to be human. And when Jesus was born, God in the flesh, he looked like any other ordinary baby. There was no halo glowing around his head. He might have been born with one of those bruised up cone heads, for all we know. He, he could have come out with one of those little puckered up faces and wrinkly skin, because he, he looked like us. And we sing these Christmas carols, Away in a Manger, O Little Town of Bethlehem, like they're victorious songs. Isn't it awesome? How preposterous is it to think that God would lie in the arms of a poor teenage girl on the outskirts of some rural town? It's crazy. We would have never done it that way. And if we were in charge, we would deal with this whole salvation thing very differently, right? Because we would, we would be concerned about the societal, systemic sins of the powerful and elite. We wouldn't be bothering with the ordinary common people and their petty little sins that don't hurt anybody. We would go after the major evils of the world, not get into each individual heart and hold them accountable for all their mistakes. But God's ways are not our ways, and He is concerned that each individual is living in holiness and righteousness as we are created to be in His image. He's concerned about every sin that we've ever committed. And He holds us accountable for those things. And He knows that you can't take care of the sins of society without taking care of each person's personal, private sins. Because sin is something that starts in the heart, which is desperately wicked. you got to start there. The world needs saving because each individual person in it needs saving. And nothing else can save the world. The state can't save the world through threat of force and uh, through intimidation and law. Philosophies can't change us through elevating our thought life. Religions can't change us by outward compulsion to improve and be more charitable and decent people. We need more than that. We need more than renovation and reformation and self-help and academic advancement and supposed upward mutation. We need a complete overhaul of our hearts. We need first forgiveness for the things we've done against this just and holy, righteous God. We need our hearts to be changed so that our inner motivation will be to love. And we need a strength to actually obey God, a supernatural power to live a holy life. That's what Jesus came to do. Only He could do it. God's ways are not our ways. Because He decided to pay the penalty for our sins that we deserved. When He gave His life on the cross, for us, He was dying in our place. All of our sins were gathered together and placed upon Him. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. I certainly don't want to have to pay for my own sins because the cost is too high. Jesus paid for my sins. Only He could do that. The only one who was sinless died in the place of us sinners so that we sinners could be counted as sinless in God's sight. Going on in verse 21, For our sake 
God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this is an innocent man taking the place of the guilty, being falsely accused, being whipped, being scourged, being humiliated, being mocked and publicly executed. None of it he deserved. And this is what brought our salvation? Come on, that is a very strange way to save the world. Now, the one part we do like, maybe we wouldn't change, at least change much, is a resurrection. Jesus didn't stay dead. He walked out of the tomb. Which is awesome because we love that victory over sin, death, hell, the devil. You know, we're all for that. And yet, I think we would have had him do it a little bit differently. I think we would have had Jesus walk out of that tomb and go right to the people who arrested him, who put him on trial, who cried out, crucify. We'd have him go to the people who who spit on him, who savagely beat him, and say, I'm back. Remember me? How you like me now? And then strike him down. That's the way we do it. But God's ways aren't our ways. He didn't show up to his enemies. He first showed up to some woman who really didn't have a whole lot of credibility, frankly, and, and then to his disciples, who still didn't believe. I mean, they... He had foretold he was going to rise from the dead, and they were still surprised by the whole thing. The resurrection, it was an awesome thing. It was very dramatic. But I think we would make it an even bigger deal, wouldn't we? I mean, because we like to make a big splash with everything. We want it to be really spectacular. But God's ways aren't our ways. God kind of, uh, he, he kind of just barely makes himself known sometimes. He he doesn't come off in, a, in an overwhelming sense all the time. He kind of does it gets involved in an understated way. I mean, he kind of snuck into this world with hardly anybody noticing. That's not the way we would have done it. I mean, look for God in the simple things, not just the spectacular things. We think that if God's going to show up to us, he's going to do it in some overwhelming, uh, dramatic, miraculous way, some unmistakable way that... that uh, it's just going to blow our minds. But that's not the way God usually works. He can. He can do those things. But long ago, the prophet Elijah, when looking for God, found out he's not in the terrifying tornado. He's not in the fiery explosion. He's not in the horrific earthquake. But that God is that still, small voice. That's what I want you to listen to. Because God's already shown you all their dramatic, miraculous things if you'll choose to believe them. Don't wait for some overpowering feeling to hit you, to know it's God. Don't wait for the shivers down your spine. Don't wait for some vivid dream or audible voice from heaven. Listen for the still, small voice. What I want you to do right now is to sense that tug on your heart that sense of conviction in your spirit because you've heard the good news of Jesus and you know it's true. That's why our big idea is our way leads to loss, but God's way leads to life. Our ways are not His ways. I, I want you to respond to this God who knows 
Every thought you've ever had, who's witnessed every deed you've ever done, who's heard every single word you've ever said, and yet still loves you despite your sinful, sordid past. And he reaches out to you right now, offering you this most incredible gift. Maybe it's a surprise to you that this gift is free. This salvation can be yours if you'll just believe it with a childlike faith, if you'll repent of your sin that you'll do this turnaround because your way leads to death. God's way leads to life. Your way leads to a horrific hell. God's way leads to a joyful heaven. His ways aren't our ways. So would you humble yourself today like Jesus? Be lowered into that watery grave of baptism so that you can rise up to a new life with Jesus. You saw that a little bit ago in the, in the video of the people being baptized. That could be you today. We had four more last night being baptized into Christ. We got everything you need. We've got towels. We've got clothes. We've got robes. We've got hair dryers. How awesome would it be to make the decision to follow Christ this Christmas Eve? Maybe that's your next step. Or maybe you're already a believer. You've never experienced baptism that way. Let's do it. Maybe you need somebody to pray for you. Maybe you have questions. We're not afraid of hard questions and difficult topics. In the next few moments while the music is playing, you're going to have a couple minutes just to come down and meet with one of my friends down here who can help you with whatever your need or your next step is. But there are other ways to respond as well in these next few moments. If you're already a believer in Christ, maybe you want to respond to God by giving Him a gift. Uh, you're, you're welcome to give an offering today uh, in the give boxes on the walls on your way out or do it through our app or online. Do it in the mail. I want to thank you for your generosity all month long in supplying so many gifts for families, so many presents for special needs children, so much food for our food pantry, and for supplying funds for adoptions. Last week, you gave $51,130 so that we could have more adoptions take place. That's incredible. So let's keep doing our best to win down river to Christ. Another way that you can respond right now is through sharing in communion. If you're a believer in Christ, you came in, you got a bag with a communion kit in it, you're going to peel off in just a few minutes. As the mucus is playing and there's the bread on top and the juice, you'll flip it over and then peel that off. And um, that's something we do, not just once or twice a year around here. We do this every week as a reminder of the body and blood of Christ, the sacrifice that He's made for us. That's why He came into the world. If you're not a follower of Christ, then just use these next few quiet moments to pray maybe, to think, to reflect on where you stand with God. But listen, this is not a ceremony. This is not a sacrament. This is not just a ritual. This is how we visibly and tangibly declare our belief in the gospel and for our need for a savior and the value of our fellowship. So let me invite you to pray together with me right now. Thank you, God, for sending your son into this world. It, it wasn't the way we would have done it, but we're so glad you did it the way you did. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to be born, to be one of us, to go through what we go through, to die in our place, and to rise from the dead. And that's what we celebrate in this communion. It's a reminder that we need forgiveness, Lord, so forgive our ways because they're not our, your ways. There's a way that seems right to us, but in the end it leads to death. Your way leads to life. 
So help us to go your way, to take those next steps in our walk with you, to humbly and simply keep our focus on Jesus Christ this day and every day. For we pray it in his name. Amen. So go ahead, share in communion or come up to the front to meet with one of my friends.